Why are you taking your clothes off? You know, I was coming up here, and I ha- I just got a large hazelnut iced coffee. Do you know I'm allergic to hazelnuts? Really? So I hope is that it, wasn't for me. Is it part of a nut allergy? Uh, is it part of a nut allergy? How does one answer that? Like, um, are you allergic it to is peanuts? a nut. Are you allergic well, to peanuts are legumes, aren't they? But usually people who are allergic to nuts are allergic to peanuts. I don't think I'm allergic to anything in the world except for hazelnut. And not that bad. Like, if, like, your head were made of hazelnut and I ate it, I might. Well, do you have an EpiPen on you right now? No. Because, Do you need one? Yeah, no, you might need one because... So what I was saying was I was coming up here with my large iced coffee. An EpiPen would be a good thing to carry for other people, though, wouldn't it? it Although I guess be. people who need it carry it. But, but what if... Here, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I was coming up here with my large iced coffee, and I just fell. Like, I just fell straight to the ground. And I... On the stairs? No, on, on the, the floor? R- yeah, right in front of the elevator. Like, all these people were waiting around, and I what fell. Did you, how'd you fall? Did you it just trip, fell? slip? No, oh, no. you dropped it? I just fell. You fell? Yeah. What? And so Are you all okay? The, yeah, yeah. But all the ice, that's why I have iced coffee all over me. So you might actually, if you're allergic to hazelnuts, you're going to get a hazelnut effect right now. Well, I'm not it, so worried about that, but are you, why did you fall? I don't know what happens to me occasionally. I just fell. Um, I'm clumsy. Just carrying the big backgammon set along with a large iced coffee. But you didn't slip or trip. You just like dropped to your knees? Yeah, I just dropped down. Just gravity Sometimes overtook you? my foot like twists a little and I fall around. So you around. trip a little. Yeah. You stumbled. I, tri- I stumbled. You stumbled. But that, yeah, I felt bad. And then literally then people came onto the elevator with me as I was coming up here. And because I smell so much like hazelnut coffee, I'm not kidding. Everyone left the elevator except me. Like three other people left the you elevator. You know, I've always argue that hazelnut was very overrated as a flavor, so you've given me proof right there. It could be I like hazelnut, which is why I ordered it. I like hazelnut coffee, and but maybe I'm repulsive to people when I spill it all over myself. All right, so James, here's a question for today from Chad Ingalls, who is at Hort, H-O-R-T-4-C-Y. I wonder what that is, horticulture? You can lead a horticulture, but you can't or make her think. yourself. Yeah. Uh, for choose yourself. Anyway, um... Chad wants to know, what does a late 40s-something guy, just like you, Me. James Altucher, do to shake things up a little and reinvent their work life? Pretty specific question. Well, one thing, I mean, I, re- I am, this is a very important question. I actually think Why? you need to, I think in general, people t- need to reinvent every four, five, six years. You know, if, if you look at like a musical band, for instance, most bands have a period of five years where they create their greatest music, and then they spend the next 30 years living off those that five-year music. Most TV shows run for five seasons. People, It's hard for people to extend one angle of creativity, one angle of their genius or their spark in life for more than five years. Now, sorry, I, I, I appreciate and I like what you're saying. I just want to add, however, we have no idea if he's in a creative field. So it could be, right, but I'm, this may be the issue. Um, um, the creative fields are the ones we know about. Like We don't usually know about the non-creative fields because the creative fields are sort of outward facing to the mm-hmm. public. So, But if you look at like uh, a Picasso, for instance, he kind of changed artistic well, he, directions every five years for his entire life. Yeah, right? but he's maybe the greatest example of an artist who who constantly changed and yes. stayed good and a real outlier. But he was able to stay the best in his field by changing every five years. If he had just stayed with Cubism for sixty years, who maybe he would have gotten boring. Cubist, yeah, just he would have gotten boring pretty quickly. So I think one thing to do is start off 
trying to be learn a new area of creativity every couple of years. So for instance, if you've never taken a photograph before, try taking a photo, uh, an interesting photograph every day for a year. Do I smell a little bit of advice yes. as autobiography Yeah, here? because I, I, this is what I do. So I can't recommend something I don't do. That's an interesting and I'll statement. Tell you, I'll give you I don't an know why you can't I'll give you another recommend. example. I could recommend uh, you know, a cesarean section while delivering a baby. Uh, all right, but I'm I'm not recommending something I don't do okay, in this but, case. No, but, but seriously. I'll give you another example, though. Well, I want your example, but but wait a minute. So this, well, all right, let me have your example, then I'll challenge you. Okay, example. so this Saturday, I am starting to take DJ classes. I've never DJed before. What kind of DJ? Like scratchy DJ? or? Just... I have no idea. I just, I saw this word DJ classes and I signed up for okay, it. Nice. And, and the reason is, is I want to expand my creative language. So in addition to writing and doing podcasts, I want to learn things like photography and I don't know whatever it is, being a DJ, to see how I can bring it back into other areas of my life and see how it will change or reinvent other areas of my life. So I applaud that. I think that's cool. I think that's one, one thing that makes you a, an interesting person for sure, for sure, for sure, without question. Additionally, when you say you can only recommend something that you have done and therefore know whether you like it or don't like it or it works for you or doesn't work for you, what about the notion? So, you know, Chad is asking this question, what does a late 40s something guy do to shake things up a little and reinvent their work life? So my first thought was, you know, I am not one for universal answers. Like this thing will work, you know, for for a couple of reasons. One is... Right, nor am I saying as mine is a universal answer. Right, but you're saying, interestingly, you're saying you can't really recommend something that you haven't done or some version of that, you said. Right, although what, what I just recommended is... Basically, what I'm recommending, I'll, I'll broaden it out, is do something new and see how it applies or changes to the language of what you're currently doing. So so what you're doing is a set of actions, just like language is a set of words. Uh, and when you change, when you, when, you, when you do something completely outside of your comfort zone, it's like you're expanding your vocabulary of actions. And so seeing how that expanded vocabulary can be brought back into your current life is my guess is... Step one in reinventing that life. Now, let me ask you this. Let's pretend we don't know what kind of work environment, work-life Chad Ingalls is talking about. But let's say that he's an employee, right? Right. He could be... Be an accountant at Procter & Gamble. Could be an accountant at Procter & Gamble. He could be a civil engineer. He could be, you know, whatever. Fill Fill in the blank with your imagination. So let's assume he's, you know, an employee at a company and he's asking, how can I shake up things a little bit and reinvent a work life? So let's talk about if you're an employee... And you have a defined job, set of tasks, et cetera, et cetera, and it's fairly constrained. What do you do? Do you try to come up with a side project that you can go to your colleagues and superiors and say, you know what? Let's try this. Let me try this, and I'm going to do it on my own. In other words, I won't use any resources. It's not so risky. I'm not going to blow up the company or blow up anything. Um, but it might be a fun experiment for us to try. Is that a good idea? Yes, absolutely. And again, it's it's along the same lines. Take something you're interested in or you think you might be interested in. No, nobody knows everything that they're passionate about, but take something you think you might be good at or interested in. Start doing it and see how it changes your... This is always the first step. You can't just sort of quit your job and jump into something else. You have to take a first step. So for instance, when I had a corporate job as a computer programmer at a large corporation, my first step was starting to do freelance work for other companies, which didn't take me so much time. But I bit by bit 
put my toe out there into the stream of freelancing, which became then a new company and a new entrepreneurship. I didn't leave my full-time job until 18 months after I started my but first company. But what about for people who don't have either the ability, the desire, the whatever to do that? Well, there's two points there. One is everyone can have ideas about their current job and how they would do things a little bit differently. And so there's that's 100% of people can have some ideas. And even if they think they can't, just start writing down 10 ideas a day to exercise that idea muscle, and you'll gradually start to come up with ideas about what you can do to even slightly change your current job and start doing those. Second, people say, oh, not everyone could be an entrepreneur. And I agree with that. I couldn't be an entrepreneur. Again, it took me 18 months to leave my full-time job before I left. I had to have a dozen clients before I left my full-time job. I was so scared. But think about salaries in the past 25 years, ages 18 to 40. They've actually gone down versus inflation. It's not as if people have a choice anymore. Society in general is making salaries worse and worse, your job tougher and tougher. People are more and more scared about you know being fired or laid off. So you kind of have to start being creative. This is why he's asking this question is because people feel a need now to kind of shake things up so that they're not caught if there's layoffs that start to happen. I mean, the world's kind of a scary place. I'm going to take a minute to think while Stephen reads this word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. One of the most iconic pieces of clothing in your wardrobe is your denim jeans. They most likely get worn more consistently than any other piece of casual clothing you own. Today, Mott and Bo would like to make you an offer to put some of their premium denim in your weekly clothing rotation. Mott and Bo are ridiculously comfortable, premium, handcrafted jeans sold at an affordable price and produced directly by a New York City-based startup. This company is obsessed with extreme comfort and simple aesthetics. There's no ugly back pocket embroidery or weird stitching on this denim. As part of their startup culture, Mott and Bo is working feverishly on revolutionizing the way men and women buy jeans online. How are they going about accomplishing that? Mott and Bo starts by making these jeans themselves in their own factory. By shipping directly to you, they eliminate retail markups typical of luxury denim, and they can provide these at an incredible price point. And speaking of shipping, for those unsure between two waist sizes, you need to try their home try-on program. You'll receive an additional size for free to try on in the comfort of your home. Keep the one that fits perfectly and send the other one back with the extremely convenient pre-printed, pre-paid return label that's already located inside the box. These jeans are already way underpriced for the quality, but the deal just got even better for you. Simply go to mottandbow.com. It's M-O-T-T. A-N-D-B-O-W dot com and use promo code QUESTION for 20% off. So in addition to DJing and taking a photograph every day, tell me about some other things you've done to shake up your work life in the last, let's say, five years. Well, okay, now I'll tell about other people. Okay, even though I say advice is autobiography, I will tell about the biographies of others. So one friend of mine um, was commuting to work on a train from Connecticut to New York and every day wrote a page in a novel. And after about uh, 300 days, I guess, he had a novel ready and written and sold 100,000 copies. 
like it did well. Another person I know who's not a friend, but I read about this person, on her subway commute to work, every day would write one page in a screenplay. She's going to a regular job. She wrote one page in a screenplay, wrote the movie Pitch Perfect, which was like a huge movie for kids. So there's always something you can do. People say, oh, I have no time. I have kids. I get tired at night. I want to spend time with my husband. There's always time for something. Mm. So it's never, it's it, it, you know, you have 24 hours in a day, eight hours you sleep, eight hours you're at work. Let's even say 10 hours you're at work. That's six whole hours you have to do whatever you want. Okay, you spend two hours with kids, another two hours with husband. Now you have two hours to do whatever you want in the Laundry. world. Yeah, okay. Um, so let me ask you this, though. So one reason that I... I don't know if it's the reason that I became a writer, but one of the things that I really liked about being a writer once, you know, I, I mean, I, I kind of always wanted to be a writer or an athlete or a musician. So I kind of tried all three and I ended up, you know, doing writing. And one thing that always appealed to me was that it inherently solved this problem of shaking up your work life because you're constantly doing new things by dint of changing topics at the very least, changing the people that you're around, reporting on by the very least. And so your life is never a kind of constant thing. So for me, like right now, did I tell you our new game show? We're launching our new game show. I am applying to be a contestant oh, on I, it. Yeah, I need, I need your... So, oh, so I should say, this is a new show called Tell Me Something I Don't Know. We've piloted it a couple times under Freakonomics Radio, but this is a, a new spinoff, and it's being done professionally, <laughs> One of our prior guest hosts was a contestant, Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, that's right. So anyway, this will be a new weekly podcast in the near future, and we're looking for people to be contestants, audience contestants. We're taping the first batch in New York City in the second and third week, I think, of September. So if you listening or anyone you know is interested who is either in New York or can get to New York and tell us something interesting that we don't know, um, go to Freakonomics.com slash... Uh, I think it's either tell me that works, that'll get you to the survey form, or freakonomics.com slash TMSIDK for tell me something I don't know. That gives more information. Anyway, you can Google sign up, sign up, sign up. So James, it's like the reason I do that is because I get bored like everybody. And if I get bored doing one kind of project, you can always, as a writer, do another kind of project. So let me ask you this. For someone like, you know, Chad, maybe it's too late. Maybe he's committed to a career where he's put in 20 years and the sunk costs seem so large that it—and he's got obligations. But we're not saying switch career. Well, okay, but here's what I want to know. Here's what I want to ask. How would you suggest that people, whether they're in the middle of their careers or maybe at the very beginning or haven't even started, how would you suggest that they assess what they want to do based on the ability to have built-in variance? Because I would argue that's an important part of happiness. Okay, several ways. One is you don't always have to do the thing you love the most, right? Sometimes you can do something that you're good at and you you learn to love it because you get better and better at it, okay? So that's a common, is it this or is it this? But I think, you know, passion versus craft, I think the the, the uh, a lot of people get good at a craft and then st- learn to love it. But one thing I like to do is I like to take a look at what was I interested in when I was 10 years old or 12 years old or 14 years old and see how that translates into adult life. And another thing I like to do 
is go to the bookstore and if and just sort of wander around. And if there's any one section where I really feel like, oh my gosh, I want to read 20 or 30 books in this particular section, then that's probably something I want to pursue. Now, what if that has nothing to do with being an accountant at Procter & Gamble? I don't worry about it. I read about those things anyway. And then sooner or later, it's again, it's this idea of you expands your vocabulary of actions and activities and things that give you a sense of wonder, you'll sooner or later, you're able to bring that back into your work life or vice versa. So I think if you're mildly good at A and you're mildly good at B, there's a good chance you could be the best in the world at A plus B, you know, depending on what A and B are. So being good at the intersections of two completely different things is often a way that people become amazingly successful. If you were starting over right now, let's say you were 17, 18, maybe going into college age, we know that you probably these days would opt for not going to college, or let's say you're 21, 22, and you're just getting ready to either graduate or flunk out of college. Um, what, I guess, career slash vocation slash bundle of choosing yourself things would you choose? I would definitely, for me personally, I would definitely write rather than computer program, which is what I did do for 10 years. So I, I would start off being a writer, and there's many, I wouldn't just write books. There, there are many outlets now for writers. There's books, newsletters, blogs, doing a podcast like this. Uh, there's writing, for, there's, there's so many more outlets for television. Not that it's easy to do any of these things, but starting at an early age and slicing it up as thinly as possible, like, you know, in the way that I just described, like, you know, for instance, right now, I just wrote a children's book, which is in the process of being illustrated. So finding as many ways as possible to kind of expand the repertoire of skills in the area you're interested in mm -hmm. is is going to be valuable to what I really call choosing yourself, to, to, to building a platform for yourself in today's uh, arena. Are you now or have you ever been what you would consider uh, a pedophile? <laughs> is that what you were interested in when you were 10 years old? Um, no, but interestingly, a friend of mine who's a very um, learned and educated and interesting and clever young uh, man, he's probably, I don't know how old Will is, probably early 40s, who's British, <laughs> so that he had a great uncle or something, someone in the family, who loved children. He just he was a he was a guy who liked children. And apparently, I did not know this, and I'm I can't vouch for its its verity. But apparently the word pedophile was until fairly recently just a word that meant someone who likes children, the way an Anglophile likes all things English. That yeah, makes then, sense. Right? It makes perfect sense. So this gentleman I don't like kids that much. Well that's other true. Than my that's own. true. You <laughs> never were a pedophile. But yeah. but apparently great uncle, you know, Henry or whatever his name is um, was a, a self-avowed pedophile and just couldn't get over the idea that the word, that the usage of this word had changed so much over time. So at family gatherings, he would still say, come here, little boy, I'm, I'm a real pedophile. I'd love to have a few words with you. And so that is the answer of how you could shake up your life if you're an accountant at <laughs> Procter & Gamble. Well, I think that's the end of all of our podcasts forever. Oh, wait, wait, you're saying there's another one? Okay, well, right after this, we'll hear about it. Thanks again to Mott & Bow for sponsoring us today. Mott & Bow makes ridiculously comfortable premium handcrafted jeans in their own factory and ships them direct to their customers at an incredible value. Take advantage of their free home try-on program where they send you an additional size for free to try on in the comfort of your home. Keep the one that fits perfectly and send the other one back with the conveniently pre-printed and prepaid return label included inside every box. 
These jeans are already way underpriced for the quality, but the deal just got even better for you. Simply go to mottandbow.com. That's M-O-T-T-A-N-D-B-O-W.com and use promo code QUESTION for 20% off. We've got another great question on tap for next time. Take a listen. You're a writer. wrote all these great books. Do you think writing is like kind of over in the sense that there's almost there's, it used to be you had a choice. I love of, you're asking me this question when literally three minutes ago when we were recording an earlier episode, you were saying about how there's never been a better time to be a writer. No, with I didn't more say outlets that. and opportunities. 